Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Uh, Mobile edition. <laughs> um, I guess we may explain that later on what we mean by that tomorrow. This is kind of like a technological advance in the. Is this, is this our hundredth podcast? It is actually. So it's a it's a milestone. Oh my God. Not, yeah. Pl- applause. Applause. Milestone podcast. <laughs> right, with milestone guest. Yep. yep. Uh, no question. Jamal Murphy is is uh, over in the house. I, I'm here actually. I'm in um, uh, California. I'm in Los Angeles. And uh, Jamal, you're from uh, an equally remote place. Yeah, right? I'm in an uh, undisclosed location in Brooklyn, New York, with all, <laughs> with all the equipment, you know, holding there, it down. There you, go. there you go. And really, really, really special, man. I have really two very uh, uh, special guests today on, on this. You know, it's funny. It's, it's a milestone podcast, and we have somebody who's really sort of like a milestone person. Our guest today uh, is someone who was uh, a living milestone uh, in and of, uh, of himself. Uh, our guest is Perry Wallace. Um, many of you may know the name, a lot of you may not. Um, but that's why he's on the show, and that's why there's a book um, written by him and, and, uh, and, and author Andrew Mans. Um Perry Wallace is... Um, well, first of all, Perry, before I give the bio, uh, Perry Wallace, welcome to the show, and Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. You. It's an honor to be on the yeah. show, especially the 100 yeah. Podcast. I know the 100 Podcast. And, and the reason I mentioned the milestones is because, you know, Perry was the first black varsity uh, basketball player in the SEC. And actually, I think, um, and we'll get into this, I think the first black varsity technical athlete black athlete in a varsity sport in the SEC. Um, and the, the book is really a, a great uh, a great book. I began reading it when I was flying out here. But it's called Strong Inside, uh, the uh, Collision of Race and Sport in the South. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, the book was obviously uh, written with, with Perry and also with um, uh, with the help of uh, Andrew Marinus, whose father is the great uh, David Marinus, who has written, I think, some of the most exceptional uh, biographies uh, ever. <laughs> uh, so anyway, it's really special to have both of you uh, on the show. And um, you know, uh, Perry is now a, uh, a law professor. Uh, I, I want to say of all things. Um, but anyway, first of all, welcome once again to the show. And, and Perry, um, let, let me ask you this question. Just tell us sort of what you're doing now, where you're doing it. But I, I guess what I'm intrigued by, uh, you know, we hear all these stories about being the first and that kind of stuff. And sometimes it gets to the point where it, we all almost become um, uh, anesthetized to it. And we forget that these are real human beings and, and real things actually happen to these human beings. I'm just wondering how it feels and how it felt to, to go through the process, to have a book out, uh, to have it on the stands, and, and for people to 
invite you to speak about it. But how, how does it feel to have have your story out there? Oh, it's amazing to me. I I can speak for myself, you know, uh, because this is a story that uh, was only told in little pieces, you know. Uh, uh, here and there, we get some publicity over the years. Some during the 1960s when I actually played, and then uh, after that, in the 1970s and 80s, uh, uh, you know, there was some publicity. But this is the uh, this is the, uh, the the full blow and the and, and the most uh, complete treatment of it. And Andrew. Uh, who is the who is the the author of the book? Uh, Andrew has done a wonderful job in, uh, uh, in in basically bringing this story to the public and bringing it to uh, uh, to the public's consciousness. Hmm. Uh, you know, and and you know, Andrew, just um, we were talking before we got on the phone about how this all. Uh, all emerge. Uh, just how did you? You know, I think I, I sort of heard heard of Perry, you know, Perry Wallace, uh, not to this depth, you know. But how did you? How did you come about the story? How did you guys connect? Uh, I think you guys gotta go back. A yeah, it actually goes back to 1989, um, when I was 19 years old and a sophomore at Vanderbilt. And, you know, Perry graduated in 1970. It wasn't until 1989 when I happened to just happened to be a student at Vanderbilt that he was invited back for the very first time um, by the university to be honored in any way, you know, almost two decades. Wow. And so um, at that time, there was coverage of Perry's return to Nashville. And I happened to read a story about him in a student newspaper. Uh, it was actually about the first game that Perry... Dr. Dillard played down in Starkville at Mississippi State and the racism that they encountered um, in that ball game. And, you know, I had <clears throat> come to Vanderbilt on a sports writing scholarship. I was a history major, so I was really into sports in history. I didn't really know much about the school. I didn't grow up in Nashville or Tennessee. Um, but reading the story, um, it captured my attention. I wanted to learn more about this person, uh, Terry Wallace. And so I was taking a black history class at the time and asked my professor if it was okay to write about sports in college. And I mm -hmm. thought she was going to say no, that that's not, you know, serious academic uh, subject. But um, she said yes. And uh, Perry at the time was a professor in Baltimore. And I just called him out of the blue and interviewed him for a paper for this uh, class. And then I guess fast forward 17 years later, it was still the most interesting story I'd ever heard. And so I emailed Terry and said, you remember me? Uh, I'd like to write a biography about you. And Terry said, yes, I do remember you. Um, go for it. <laughs> and so 2006, I started writing uh, the book and spent eight years working on it. Um, but that story goes back that far. So I, Perry and I have been, I've been asking Perry questions for, for 17, now 27 years. Wow. <laughs> Go all the way back to 1989. He put up with me all this time. Perry, uh, Perry, this is Jamal. I just had a question. You know, just I just wanted to to get your, uh, you know, to get your thoughts or just to hear what what it was like for you. You know, going all the way back to that time. What what was going through your mind at that time? 
Did you, I mean, it had to be a serious weight on you. There's no way, you know, it's not like something that you didn't, you didn't know the significance of. You had to know that, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, Jamal. And the, the, the fact is that we're, we're talking about pioneering. And um, uh, it wasn't as bad as what Jackie Robinson went through uh, with, uh, but it was, uh, uh, it was bad, it was hard, it was tense, and it, and it was dangerous. Right. Uh, and, and most people really don't have any any sense of that. And uh, again, that's one of the reasons that I'm very happy that Andrew uh, chose to write the book and, and, and that his book is, uh, really has had such a, such a great success uh, that it really recounts uh, the stresses, the pain, the dangers that uh, accompanied uh, that, that pioneering effort on my part. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, so... You went to a, a very good friend of mine, is Alex Bontops, um, uh, and um, he, he's from his father is a, a great poet, Arna Bontops. But he's a, he's oh a, yeah, he, he, oh, he, he oh, yeah. Fist. yeah, I think you know him or know of him. Oh, I, we were yeah. Oh, we we were uh, uh, we we we, we were and we were in school. We went to the same high school together, yeah. and uh, yeah. Pearl, I can kind of see him. Pearl, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he used to always, I, Alex. We were we were colleagues at the Baltimore at the at Ebony Magazine, and, uh, and he just retired from Arizona State. But I was just talking about him the other day. He used to raise. He used to talk about Pearl High and Pearl High uh-huh. football, Pearl High athletes. I mean, just and athletics. Uh, and Pearl High was quite the school. Had quite a great tradition. And I guess my question is, but at that same time, Tennessee State was a powerhouse. Um, right. You, you you chose to to not go to an HBCU and not only not to go to HBCU but go to sort of the belly of the beast in the in the uh, in the SEC. Did people try to discourage you from doing? It? I mean, what went into your decision? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, during that period in the 1960s, one of the things that was happening was that uh, uh, things were opening up in America in general. And you had uh, more black athletes going to the big schools and basically playing big time sports. And frankly, that's, that's what, uh, that's, that's, that's what we really wanted. Um, you know, I, I was no different from, uh, any, anyone else. I wanted to get that chance, take that shot, get into those big arenas and, uh, also just to sort of show uh, that I was as good as the, uh, the, the white athletes who, you know, who were, uh, uh, who, who were, who were playing. So I, you know, uh, one, one real, real good option or choice was to go to an HBCU. And that, and that's, uh, that was, that was an excellent choice for me because I, I like the places like Grambling and, uh, uh, you know, North Carolina Central, the, these places were excellent choices. But what I knew was that uh, as we got on into the 1960s, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the uh, publicity, the resources, uh, all the money and so on and so forth was really going into those big schools. 
and uh, I, I decided that uh, that that's where I wanted to go. So I didn't have any bias against the HBCUs, and uh, you know that that was that was an excellent choice. But I just I just uh, decided that uh, uh, I wanted to hit the big time. How how were you received by teammates and and Vanderbilt itself, as opposed to you know yeah. fans and other teams? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, that's of course a complex picture. How was I received by teammates and, and various others? I think my teammates uh, 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 did a good job in terms of uh, in terms of uh, uh, accepting me, playing with me. Uh, and you got to remember, these were days where, when you went to college in a southern uh, academic setting like that, and played on a team, you you uh, played with and against players who had not ever touched physically a uh, a black player, mm-hmm. not ever going into a scrimmage and that sort of thing. So that that was that was that that was uh, so my my uh, teammates did a good job considering. Now what happened was that uh, on the campus in general, this was basically uh, a lily white campus. Uh, the uh, players, uh, the uh, students, were from an elite southern background. These were students from background where their grandparents and great grandparents and whatnot had owned slaves. So these these people had no real knowledge about uh, uh, black people and certainly how to uh, get along with black people as equals. Uh, how you know this, this is such a fascinating thing and 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 uh, Andrew you know sh- chime in I mean we're having a New York conversation you could always interrupt. <laughs> where people were 
breaking the ice, breaking barriers, and going in. We, we needed often uh, federal marshals and the like in order to get in, uh, but that was kind of part of part of what what was necessary. And uh, similarly with me, you know, I, you know, I had hate uh, hate mail, uh, you know, uh, you know, all kinds of you know, all kinds of uh, uh, amazing expressions of hatred uh, mm. that came at uh, came at me. That you had never uh, heard. I decided to go to Vanderbilt. I'm sorry, did he? These are things that you had never heard before. Things that I, I'd never heard before. Well, you know, yeah, uh, yeah I I I had heard those things before. R- remember, and, and tell me, be sure to tell me if I'm answering your question in a helpful way. Jackie Robinson to show the hecklers, hey, we've got this guy's back. 
just just the number just the number of those number of those schools and I, I didn't at a point I stopped counting because <laughs> basically we had if you were uh, high school valedictorian high school all American and your your team uh, basketball team won the state championship. Uh, in the first year that black teams and white teams were allowed to compete, we went 31 and 0. Wow. Um, basically, we had uh, uh, tremendous, uh, you know, uh, tremendous attractions, and uh, so we were, you know, I was I was sought out by just uh, any number of uh, any number of, of schools. And again, mm-hmm. you know, this was uh, the product of strong family that, uh, uh, you know, that really, really pushed us, they nurtured us, and really helped us achieve those goals. Mm-hmm. You know, Perry, was a, he's an engineer and, and math student, but my, one of my uh, the most poetic quotes that uh, he provided for the book was that he was not going to trade one plantation for another when he was mm-hmm. making his decision about where to go to college. And Perry, maybe you could tell him that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, in 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 my senior year in uh, in high school, uh, I got a chance to visit a number of these big schools that I had been dreaming about going to all my life. And uh, one of the things I saw was something fairly disappointing in the sense that the black athletes were basically like, and Bill would appreciate this. Uh, I, I, the, the black athletes were not uh, allowed. They really, I'm not going to say that they weren't allowed, but one way or another, they did not participate actively in the social, intellectual uh, life of the campus. These brothers uh, uh, just uh, did not, uh, uh, they were not good students, most of them. And it was really like a plantation, and so I, I uh, it, it it really was. I mean, the brothers they were in the dorms. That was cool, and they would go down to the, you know, to listen to music down to the canteen, you know, listen to the Temptations and all that, and 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 uh, then then uh, you know, going over to the gym and they play ball, and they do that for three or four years, and mm-hmm. eventually uh, they just, uh, you know, they, they would drop out because they finish up, lose their eligibility. And I, I thought that I, my thing was that I didn't work this hard for to buy into some nonsense like this. Oh, uh, wow. And uh, that, that, that was it. I said I wasn't going to trade. Coming from the South, that was basically the plantation. And that was the way I I looked at it. Just it was just a plantation. So my point that Andrew is bringing out to you is that I wasn't going to trade one plantation for another. Uh, yeah. The South was a one type of plantation, uh, and then these big schools, as as uh, impressive as they were and uh, whatnot, and as uh, elite as they were. The fact is that these brothers uh, were not getting um, uh, quality education. And, of course, you can look all around now. You can go 
and uh, look around and find Baylor and University of North Carolina, and you know, you can take your pick. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I, I mean, now that you mentioned, it, I want to talk about that a little later. But since you mentioned it, I mean, sometimes I wonder how much really has changed. <laughs> I mean, I mean that that I mean now you look at almost every basketball and football team in the SEC, and look, you're yeah. really looking at how Howard and Glamblin, you know, in terms of the players on the field. But I'm I'm I'm, I'm wondering also how many are really taking full uh, advantage academically uh, of the institution. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, no matter, and no matter whether you're a great student or not, I mean, this is a this is a very taxing full-time job, no matter who you are, and the time demands are enormous. It's gotten even worse since you, you know, since you were playing, and mm-hmm. um, and the, the priority, no matter what the coaches say, the priority is football or basketball. That's mm-hmm. that's the priority, and the whole academic schedule is based around allowing you to. Stay eligible, or if you're a strong student, allowing you to spend the optimal amount of time, you know, at your sport. And now it's like yeah. around the clock. So, so I thought what you said was very insightful. But I think the, the plantation is still alive and well, unless like mm-hmm. you, you've got to be really, pers- you really have to be perceptive to avoid it. That's what I think. Right. And, and, oh, and absolutely. Perry, yeah, Perry, like you said, it's all you know. You have to have that strong uh, foundation from the parents. Uh, and you have to go in there with the with the correct mind state, and that's you know that's few and far between as far as big time college uh, basketball athletes, football or basketball. Absolutely, without question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, like we're going to take a, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, uh, we're going to talk uh, a little more with um, uh, Perry Wallace and with Andrew Maris. Uh, about um, a really fine and exceptional book, A Strong and Spy, Barry Wallace, The Collision of Race and Sports in the South. And I want to, when we come back here, I want to talk a little bit about your family, uh, your mom okay. and your dad, because clearly they, mm-hmm. they're the ones that you're extended to. I gave you the, the, the backbone the structure to deal with a lot of the horrible stuff you had to deal with when you went to Vanderbilt. So we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com backslash Bill Roden on Sports. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Again, that's www.audibletrial.com backslash Bill Roden on Sports. Check it out. Before we, we took the break, you had talked about 
your your dad and your mom, and they 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 made you guys think that you could do anything. Uh, just tell us who who who's your dad? What did he do? Who's your dad? Who's your mom? Um, you know, what kind of family? What you know, brother, sister? What 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 kind of family did you come out of? Yeah, um, you know, my my parents uh, uh, were born uh, in 1906 in rural rural Tennessee. They grew up on farms. Eventually, moving into the city uh, uh, in the 1920s to look for some greater greater opportunities, and. Uh, uh, you know, their basic point was that they wanted to find opportunities and they wanted to uh, um, get in there and, and help their families get educated and prepared for what they felt, even way back in the 1920s, was a, uh, was a world that uh, uh, was going to require that they be prepared, that they be educated, that they have the skill sets that was uh, uh, necessary in order to survive and prosper in in America. Um, my parents went to the uh, went to the eighth grade uh, uh, and uh, then came on into the city. And uh, you know, and my father worked on the railroad, and he uh, eventually developed his own subcontracting. Construction business. My mother worked as a cleaning lady, and uh, as, as you know, as a, as a maid. And uh, you know that that's that that's basically what they did. But along the way, they they made sure that we uh, got that education. They made sure that we studied, and uh, and they didn't play around with that. Uh, my my mother read all of her children's books. Uh, as we moved uh, moved along and 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 progressed in in school, and you know this this is the kind of family you know we were people of faith uh, that 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 was extremely important, and and uh, again I'm not going to ramble on and on, but we were people of very strong and solid values, and uh, uh, you know that's that's who we were. You know, Terry talking about the importance of education in their family, and that his father was, uh, you know, a bricklayer and brick cleaner, and his mom was a cleaning lady. They put all four of Terry's older sisters through college um, at Fisk and TSU, and Terry's brother served in the Air Force. Um, Terry's sister, uh, Jensen Wallace Jackson, who now lives in Memphis, told me one of my favorite stories about um, just the composure and the character that. Terry had, even as a kindergartner, and she said that one day she um, arrived at school to pick up uh, her little brother, Perry, in kindergarten, and the teacher had left the classroom, and so all the kids in this classroom were going berserk and just bouncing off the walls and, you know, going crazy without a teacher in the room, except for one kid, and it was Perry who was sitting quietly at his desk doing his work, and she said she knew even at that young age, five, six years old, that this was a a young man that did the right thing and, you know, um, had such uh, composure, even as a little guy. Were you aware then, Perry, and by the way, uh, I think now you're in your, I never asked, well, I do 
sometimes ask people their age. I never tell mine. But you're, you're, you're late. You're in your late late sixties now, sixty-seven, maybe sixty-eight. I'm sorry. I I, I mean I've heard. No, I, was, I was asking how, how how old are you now? How old am I? Yeah. Yes, I'm sixty-eight. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a long. But what what my question? So you were. With, during this whole recruitment process, and you knew you were going to Vanderbilt, you were aware of all the, you know, the Jackie Robinson stories, the integrated stories. Did they, did they resonate with you, or did, did they, did anything that you knew about those stories or the Texas Western guys, anything prepare you for what you were going to face uh, at Vanderbilt and, and, and as you went through the uh, SEC? It, it, it's hard to say that any, uh, any, anything. Prepared you. Those were not days where they had templates or formulas for for you. Uh, you, you had to find your way on your own, and that's in effect uh, in, in effect what what I did. I, I sort of found my way. I took uh, good advice as best I could from different different places, uh, and, and and that was that that was pretty much pretty much it. How do you, how do you feel like? I mean, this is a. I mean, I'm asking this in a simple way, but it's obviously a, you know, a, a complex answer. But how do you feel like the the that experience affected you negatively or positively? Uh, you know, the you know going forward in the rest, you know, the rest of your life. Uh huh. Um, well, well, basically, you know, the, the experience in, in the South. You know, gosh, it, it was just, uh, you had, this was a time of segregation. Uh, it was a time of uh, a lot of harassment, uh, discrimination. Uh, we, we often caught hell, uh, you know, just trying to go about our regular, our regular day. And we did the best, uh, we did the best, best we could. And, you know, and, and, you know, for, for, for me, you know, I did what most everybody else did. I did my best, tried to create a solid foundation, tried to, uh, um, you know, give myself the kind of protections that I might have and, and to lay out the kind of uh, future uh, that, uh, you know, that, that, that would uh, provide for me a good life. Uh, and, and that was, I think that was pretty much it. Mm-hmm. What, what kind of things did, uh, I, I want to ask you, who was your coach at Pearl, at Pearl High? Uh, our coach was uh, uh, Coach Cornelius Ridley. Ridley. Coach Ridley uh, was out of that black system, and uh, uh, he was one of those very, very shrewd, smart, talented coaches. He understood the way the world was made up, and he uh, and he taught me a tremendous amount. Uh, he taught me a lot about uh, racial dynamics, uh, a huge amount about that, about being careful about uh, the, you know the uh, uh, you know not making sure I didn't get caught up in that swirl of being brought onto those uh, big white campuses. And then kind of left with no education, you know, no, nothing, uh, you know, nothing that was going to help me in my life. 
So Coach Coach Ridley and my other coaches, uh, these these were, you know, these really were very very fine men, and uh, I to this day uh, I'm very grateful that I had the opportunity to work under them. Uh, uh, did 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 uh, how, how, how did your coach feel about you going to Vanderbilt? Did he? I, I, I well, can imagine you guys had some great conversations. Sure, sure. Well, you know, coach was coach was concerned. Uh, he, he wanted me to be safe. Uh, but there's something that's very important to understand. This was a time of a great deal of transition, and it was a time of a great deal of uh, the unknown. Mm-hmm. So you you had to understand that just about everything you did involved taking chances. Uh, and, and you know that 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 was simply it. Uh, everybody black was taking a chance to the extent that they were, uh, decided to go into that mainstream white world to take advantage of these uh, opportunities and go into these integrated sets. Um, and that's you know that's that 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 was just the kind of world that we. Uh, that, that we had during that particular time, and you know that, that's uh, you know we, we had uh, uh, really not a lot more that we could do other than just kind of find our way uh, through that gauntlet as best we could, because the, the, you know the, the, the new rules were making themselves all the, all the time, and and. You know that's that's uh, what you know that's what most of us we just did our best and the rest of it we just it up to God and just hoped that we would be okay. Yeah, you know, why we um, fast forward now? Of course, I, I, I talked before. You know, you look at the SEC in the blood sports that I call football, basketball, the revenue-producing sports, and there's a level of black participation that you probably couldn't even fathom. In 1966, when you went to Vanderbilt, all the questions, well, can they play? And all that. I mean, the league is dominant. Those sports are dominated by black athletes. Um, when you look at when you look at this now, how did that happen? Why did it happen? I mean, it's it's like there's a there's this multi-billion-dollar industry now. In college, you got the coaches now making millions of dollars. You know, John Calipari. I mean, they can't get enough black athletes. Hey, did you ever envision that? And and, and beyond that, I mean, why <laughs> why did that happen? It's not like people stopped liking black people all of a sudden. You know, they mm-hmm. you know, probably still don't. It's not like there's this love affair. But you went from from not having any to having one or two, to now we can't mm-hmm. get enough. You, you got adults convincing little 16, 17-year-olds to come to our university. What happened? You know, they went, you, as, you, as you look back on it, uh, how did it happen? What happened? Why did it happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, what, basically, what 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 happened was that progress started taking place, and because of people like me, quite frankly, uh, you had uh, uh, this progress. You had opening up uh, uh, where America started looking around and saying, "Well, you know, he." Guys, uh, they really know how to play the game, and these guys can uh, 
run, handle the ball, and shoot, and do just a, a number of different things. And we would do well to, uh, uh, you know, take advantage of these opportunities here. And you started having, in the 1970s, I graduated in 1970, and you started having uh, uh, athletes, uh, more and more black athletes. And, you know, the joint started, started filling up. Uh, that's kind of kind of what happened. Um, as we as we moved along, you know, by the time we got to the end of the 1970s, you really, uh, you know, you really just had black athletes all over the place. I uh, I had during that during that period, you know, again having graduated in 1970, uh, I I was busy with academic pursuits. Going to law school, pursuing a, uh, a career as a lawyer, so I, I really didn't pay much attention to what was going on there, and so I, I just kind of saw a lot of this at a distance. Um, and then all of a sudden, I looked up and I, I said, "Wow, look at here! You got black black athletes all over the place." And it just happened that at, at that particular time, Vanderbilt had more or less ostracized me. Uh, they hadn't, uh, you know, really uh, uh, appreciated what I had contributed. Uh, so in that sense, uh, uh, you know, I, I uh, just went on about my business, and all of a sudden uh, you have sports writers and various others all of a sudden start uh, coming, swinging back around to me, asking me, about my experience as a pioneering athlete. And, you know... <clears throat> yes, please, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and that's and that's basically what, what I'm saying. All of a sudden, uh, out of the blue, uh, you know, uh, people started looking and asking, well, you got all of these brothers, uh, and they're playing. Where did this start, and how did it start? Uh and, and that's what brought people like me uh, back to the fore, uh, and people started getting uh, getting interested in, uh, you know, in, in Perry Wallace and uh, you know Charlie Scott and various other, you know, various other uh, uh, folks and talents. So you know, I, I think you know it, it, it kind of started, and people didn't pay with so much attention to it. But then all of a sudden it started uh, growing and expanding. And then uh, you looked around and then you had brothers, brothers all over the place. Well, how do, you, how do you feel about the state of the game and not so much the on-court play or anything like that, but the, the, you know, the demographics, the dynamics of it in terms of, uh, you know, you have all these black players and, and you know, we, we touched on it earlier that you know it could be considered a plantation based on the fact mm -hmm. that a lot of these kids aren't getting you know they don't come out with degrees and all that so i mean you were the first how do you feel about it now yeah well i i think it was a good thing see uh i don't think that you ever want to find yourself saying that uh getting rid of discrimination and prejudice uh, and racism, uh, that that's a bad thing. 
Uh, I right. think that it ought to be seen as a good thing, but it needs to be managed the right way. And so, if you, you know, you're going to get all of these brothers into these colleges, but educate them. And that's that's one of my uh, one of my gripes to this day. And things that I think is really very very sad that uh, you you just uh, you, get, you have these guys and they come into these onto these campuses, and the same thing is happening to many of them. Uh, that's happened, uh, uh, you know, back back in the day. They're not getting uh, educated, uh, and they're being left kind of on the on the side. And uh, you know that that's a very 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 sad uh, very sad outcome. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's 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 such a it, it, you mentioned it. It's like the game it hasn't changed. I mean, you can't run the same game on. You know. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. at first they're saying, oh, we only want one or two. Oh, hell, we really need these guys. Uh, but listen, we're still not going to, we're going to use them. We're not going to really give them the one thing that is important to this university, which is a, which mm-hmm. is that, that piece of paper, that quality education. Or even if they do get the education, even if they do get the paper, you know, it may be in some empty, meaningless kind of degree. And... White people are going to still have all the power. We're going to be the athletic directors. We're going to be the coaches. We're going to be, you know, the only thing that's yep. changed is that we've got more of you guys lifting, you know, bailing hay and lifting and lifting that lumber. But fundamentally, nothing has really changed. I don't know if that's too harsh, but um, it, it 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 seems that because I, I, I see it all the time. You know, where I'm in the press box. In, at the SEC football games, we got like no black reporters, maybe one. You know, I'm looking at the people in the PR departments, the people doing stuff. I mean, the, the the major black presence are all those guys, you know, running up and down the field, running up and down the court, and that's kind of it. So you kind of wonder, well, really, what's changed besides the numbers? Yeah. Yeah, no, no, this, you know, there's. I, I, I'm glad to see that at least some people are disturbed by what, what's, what's going on because too many people are not disturbed and they're not bothered by it. And, uh, and it's just kind of continuing to, uh, you know, an ongoing, ongoing failure with, uh, broader implications into, into society, into our families, our communities and, and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, and I, and I think that we're paying for it, and I think we're going to continue to pay. Yeah, and in what way? I mean, I, obviously, I absolutely agree, but I think sometimes the casual, I talk to a lot of African-American, you know, people who, you know, who are, you know, professionals, and they don't really study this stuff, and they don't really understand what's really going on, uh, that all these, all they see on mm. Saturday, Sunday, whatever, a lot of black faces. But, um they don't really understand uh, what am I trying to say? There's almost a crisis that mm-hmm. that that you couldn't have anticipated in 1966 when you there was a mission. There was a mission for your generation, a mission to to to, to represent and to, to do. I mean, you know, you became a lawyer for God's sake, but it almost seems that a lot has been a lot. So much has been lost, um, not just being exploited, but not having the same sense of mission to uh, get everything you can out of these institutions. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, Andrew. Um, the book, you know, the book uh, is already is already a New York Times bestseller. Um, I just, I'm just curious. And now, and now, tomorrow you have the Young Readers edition coming out. So obviously, it's important to you uh, to get this story out, particularly to the youth. But just in in general, I mean, I mean, what you know, why was this story so important to you, and what do you what do you hope that the next generation or this current generation gets out of it? Right. Um, I mean, you guys have listened to me now for an hour. You can understand why I was so passionate to get this story out there. Right, right. Um, Perry is an unbelievable person and truly um, historic figure in the history of American sports. And I felt like because I knew an inkling of his story and the fact that when I started writing it, it was um, 36 years after he had graduated and still no one had told his story, that this story needed to be told. You know, um, and so it was a... Um, you know, I've been very passionate about not just writing it, but um, trying every possible way to uh, make people aware of Perry Wallace and the courage that he had and the type of uh, individual he is. And as you mentioned, you know, tomorrow the Young Readers version comes out, which is aimed at middle school and high school kids. And um, it's not something I had anticipated doing when I wrote the um, first version of the book. But now I'm thinking maybe there's no more important audience for this book than kids. You know, in, in two respects. You know, I think about um, kids of color that will read the book and and see a figure like Perry and, um, you know, be inspired by this man. And then I think about the racial divisions in this country and this recent presidential election and the rural and urban divide you hear about and just the... the um, incidents of harassment and racism that have kind of been almost let loose since this election. And, you know, I'm interested in, in, in white kids reading this story, maybe learning something um, that unfortunately they're not learning from their parents, you know, about equality and about, um, you know, respecting a man like Perry Wallace. And, you know, I'm hoping that uh, the book can have an impact on kids. And maybe it's a lot to expect of one book, but, you know, I want to get out there to as many schools as I possibly can and tell this story, um, you know, and let people walk in Perry Wallace's shoes and see how they feel about things, you know, after they've had a chance to immerse themselves in his story. Right. Mm. Uh, uh, we're going to take a real quick break and come back with the last segment. But when we come back, uh, both of you, Andrew, I, I want to talk about some of the stuff that you learned um, during this whole process. Uh, and and uh, when we come back, I also want to ask you, uh, Perry, about law, because at some point you became fascinated and absorbed with the law. And when I come back, I just want to talk about how that all happened. Um, all right. So we'll be back in just two minutes. Uh, take a break okay. uh, and rejoin us with Bill Wilton on sports. We'll be right back. And, uh, you know, I, I guess uh, uh, you know, uh, Perry Wallace and, and uh, 
Andrew, you know, Jamal was asking you about writing. I'm just curious as a um, as a as a uh, you know a person, a reporter, a PR person, uh, as a white guy. I think you grew up in the South, right? You grew up in Tennessee. Uh, no, I didn't. I was um, born in Wisconsin. I grew up mostly in D.C. Oh. I moved to uh, Texas when I was in high school, and then I came up to Vanderbilt for college. So I've been here okay. for quite a while now, but I didn't grow up there. Well, okay, that's okay. You wanted to be in the South. <laughs> but but I guess the larger question is, what, um, given that, uh, what did, how has this story changed your life, changed your perspective on, on racism, uh, changed your perspective on how to perhaps help to cure the disease? Um, you know, just, I, I, it does, that's a lot, but how does, how does it change your perspective? Sure. Well, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Perry's basically been my teacher since I was 19 years old. Um, I don't think anyone, white or black, could have a better teacher about race and racism um, than Perry Wallace. He's the most insightful person on those things that I've ever met or heard, and um, it's had a tremendous impact on me. Um, you know, and the most individual one-on-one -on -one way of addressing that issue. You know, having a chance to ask very questions and get in the car with him and drive around Nashville and experience the 1950s and 60s Nashville through his eyes. You know, and that was the most important thing I wanted to do with this book is um, not write a book about scores and basketball games or statistics, but really put people um, in his shoes and, you know, in this context, of the place and the times that he was operating, 1950s and 60s, in the Deep South. Um, one of the most interesting things for me was to see how Perry's life intersected with so many key moments and figures in the Civil Rights Movement. He was 12 years old when the sit-ins were taking place at the lunch counters in downtown Nashville, and Perry would walk downtown to see what was happening. Um, when he was a freshman at Vanderbilt, Martin Luther King and Stokely Carmichael, came to speak over the span of 24 hours at Vanderbilt, and he met both of them and heard them speak and, you know, um, was thinking a lot about, you know, do I go the uh, Black Power route? Do I go the, the King Nonviolent route? Um, Fannie Lou Hamer came to campus when Perry was a student. You can tell a great story about his interactions with her. Um, Robert wow. Kennedy came to campus while Perry was a student. Um, while he was in high school, I know people like Harry Belafonte and Arthur Davis came through. Pearl High School. And Perry has a phrase, you know, he later worked for Ron Brown at the Urban League. Um, mm. uh, had a chance to meet Baird Rustin, Vernon Jordan. Um, Perry has this phrase he told me called many mentors, many mentors. And he's had many mentors who may have had even just a small role in his life, but he's been influenced by the giants um, of the Civil Rights Movement. And that was fascinating for me to learn about and to write about in the book. Mm. Perry, how did you start getting into um, uh, uh, getting into law? Um, did, did yeah, well, no. Uh, mm -hmm. oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, what, what? Basically, I didn't begin to be interested in law until uh, college and the years after college. Obviously, my Vanderbilt experience made me very, very much attuned to the Notion of notions of justice and equality and that kind of thing. 
And when I looked around, you know, it, it was clear that I, I was going to uh, go ahead and, and uh, um, try to help bring some equality and justice. And I looked around at uh, for role models, and there was Thurgood Marshall. Hmm. And, uh, and, and we had uh, people like that who uh, basically were going into the courts and they were fighting fighting for the rights of, uh, uh, you know, of the oppressed and fighting for the rights of, you know, people who, uh, uh, you know, people who had been mistreated. And I think that was it from there. Uh, I, you know, I made the decision to go in and go to law school, and I felt that I would use uh, the uh, law and my law degree to uh, accomplish, to accomplish some you know, accomplish some progress in in my own community. And I've found different ways of using my law degree over the years. Uh, but it all started because of my experience as a pioneer and the fact that uh, uh, I, I just felt like I needed to find a way to, to bring justice, to bring equality to uh, black communities in America. Have you gotten that this doesn't have anything to do with sports, but it has have everything to do with, with law and racism? I mean, you know, in the past few years, you've had uh, you've had so many acts of violence uh, perpetrated against you know you know young black people by police. Well, what, is there, is a I know this is a broad question, but what's your sense as a person who's been in the in law and I didn't think about law 
the first thing I thought about at Manville was, hey man, we 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 got to we got to do something about this racial prejudice. We got black students here on college campuses. My my students, my fellow black students, uh, who are being alienated and treated shabbily, and uh, people acting like they're invisible and whatnot. Uh, you got racial insults. Uh, we have in America where people just uh, are not, uh, you know, are not uh, uh, t- treating us fairly. And so I got to, st- we got to find a way to stop that. As I moved along, I started asking myself, well, what kind of, what kind of uh, profession and what kind of educational uh, training would be most helpful? And I gave myself some time and. By this time, I had finished uh, uh, finished um, uh, 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 Vanderbilt, and uh, I, I moved up to the East Coast and uh, I took a job with Ron Brown at the National Urban League, and uh, as a field representative, going into neighborhoods and communities across the country, helping to develop. Uh, uh, community uh, activism programs. And then eventually I started looking for more concrete ways of doing doing this work. And law kind of kept jumping into the picture. And so I decided to go ahead and uh, choose a career in law. And that's basically uh, what I did. Eventually became a lawyer and the rest is history or something like that. <laughs> it's, it's evolving. It's evolving history. Uh, uh, hey, I guess is, uh, is this, this, I'm telling you, man, this is, we, we've gone almost an hour, but this is so fascinating. I mean, this this could easily go another hour because <laughs> the history, one of the things I was, I was, I was wondering when you, again, I, I think that the, what's just so odd is to to, to look at, read your struggles and, and that first group of, you know, black athletes going into the SEC and that, you know, the 66, 67, and then to look at the SEC now mm-hmm. and just to see all black it is. But you were mentioning how you could help, what could each of us do to help uh, cure the disease of racism? And what and Jamal and I talk about this all the time. It's so fascinating. And even now, you know, with how racially stratified the country is, but when you look at Alabama football and that team being all black or Clemson football or Mississippi State football, and, you know, I mean, Barack Obama couldn't get one vote in Alabama, but yet <laughs> there are like a whole bunch of white folks who are just talking about Alabama football and sharing your know, Ohio State. They may not have any use for black people at all, but they, mm-hmm. they're sharing for these teams where all the key players are black, and it just blows me away that people are able to compartmentalize uh, yeah. the racism and cheer for you, but not really, you, you know, not really like you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's observation. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> I just want to, I want to mention that uh, Andrew was kind enough to, uh, to give us a couple of, of strong inside uh, young readers edition books. Um, or giveaway. So, I have a question for the the Twitterverse out there. If you can answer, anybody on Twitter can answer. 
who was the first African-American to play any SEC sport and directed to at brospod, B-R-O-S-P-O-D, that's our uh, Twitter handle, and hashtag it strong inside. We'll give you a we'll give you one of those free uh, strong inside uh, young readers editions. So again, the question for for Twitter versus who was the first African American to play any SEC sport, and uh, at Bros Pod and hashtag Strong Inside and and who if you the first two who are correct will get uh, a free uh, Strong Inside Young Readers edition. All right. Well, the challenge is don't. Never did recruit me. 
Now, then we move along, and we have Texas Western, uh, the game. And you may remember, now, one of the things that was well known by Rupp's players and and others was that Rupp hated to dunk. Mm. He wouldn't let his players uh, dunk. And uh, he... uh, uh, he particularly hated to dunk after Big Daddy D, David Latton, slammed a bunch of them down his throat uh, and dunked and uh, humiliated him and, and, and said some choice words about uh, Pat, Pat Riley and urban legends that he said somebody mama too. But uh, I'll leave that for speculation. <laughs> but in any, <laughs> in any event, uh, uh, Rupp, you could say after the Texas Western games, you remember the dunk uh, was not something that that uh, that uh, black athletes were allowed to do with too much ferocity. And uh, so, but you had that game, and then you know where it added to the humiliation. The dunk was a phallic symbol. It was a symbol of manhood. It was a symbol of black manhood because the brothers were the ones who could leap and fly and slam. Uh, well, we move on to that next year, uh, where I'm a freshman, and we go up to the University of Kentucky to play our freshman game against, uh, uh, you know, we, we the varsity plays Kentucky varsity, but uh, uh, we also play uh, the freshman game. During the game, uh, I got a rebound uh, inside the lane and took it back up and dunked it over Dan Issel. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, so, you know, that, that you know, that, that happened. Uh, and this is uh, still a point to remember where uh, they, 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 you know, black athletes, this were new to the SEC. And so I was like getting 20, 25 rebounds a game, blocking shots, uh, three, four, five dunks a game. And and so Rupp is looking at me, and Rupp goes berserk when I dunk the ball over his. Uh, and he's over on the sidelines. Now you gotta you gotta uh, visualize this. Rupp is not the freshman coach. <laughs> Somebody else, uh, Joe, Joe B. Hall or whoever, freshman coach. And so on the side here, we have uh, uh, Rupp over on the side just just going wild about the fact that I had dumped. He was mad. Uh, and I'm looking over at the side. Who is this little old man, uh, you know, uh, mad because I dumped the basketball? Well, I'll speed the story up because it was just a matter of uh, a couple of uh, a couple of months before the dunk is banned, and they had all these reasons. We don't want the little little, little boys to hurt themselves. They might hurt their wrists, and, uh, and 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 they might tear up uh, backboards and all that sort of stuff. But that that's that's kind of the story, you know. You know uh, I, you know, I could have told it in a more coherent fashion, but that's that's the story of the dunk from my perspective. The dunk and it off up from the Perry Wallace perspective. Now, you know, I still think that uh, it, you know it was about Jabbar, 
he was about uh, a bunch of brothers all around <laughs> the country, including some right. brothers from down in uh, Memphis that I played against and who would come to the Tennessee State to play in the summers, play basketball. Uh, Rich Jones, Illinois, Charlie Clark, uh, all these guys had pro careers. And, uh, you know, all, all these guys, these, these guys were ferocious brothers. Uh, and, uh, you know, they were scaring people going and coming. And that's the usual, that's the usual uh, uh, problem. It's, it's like, you know, Jack Johnson, Paul Robeson. Uh, the problem is that, uh, what, you know, let's see now, how, how scared of this brother should we be? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, the, the, you know, and, and it's the old, old mythology and, and so on and so forth. But I, I, I won't take any more of your time, but, uh, that, that, that's great. That's essentially the story. I can still, uh, see, uh, Adolf Rupp standing on the sideline, a varsity coach, uh, Mad because a freshman player on the other side had dumped the basketball. Mm. What was he doing? I mean, was he screaming at you or screaming at anybody in particular, or just pulling out his what, what you have here? What was he doing? What, what, when he was screaming. Who was he? Who was he screaming to? Who was he complaining to? Or was he just it, stomping it, anybody and everybody? <laughs> it, 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 anybody and everybody. It, remember, this was. Baron Rupp's arena. He was king. He was the Baron. So he's just over on the side, just pitching one. Uh, and uh, that that's just kind of that. I mean, he, you know, he, he's just mad. But he, he's like any any other dictator, uh, right? You know, and and uh, that that's you know that's basically what what he was doing. And Rupp, uh, you know, it was not until. The end of my senior year, where I coached me and some others in a uh, in an all star game as seniors, that Rupp uh, and I had a conversation, and he was cordial and very nice, and he offered to uh, make contact with Red Auerbach in my behalf to try to get me into the pros and all all of that that sort of stuff. But the fact was that. The deed had been done. Uh, the stuff, the uh, SEC had been integrated, and he hadn't done uh, uh, anything uh, to promote that. He had basically stood back on the side, like the other coaches, college presidents, and commissioners in the SEC. Uh, yeah. They stood over on the side and they just kind of watched to see what was going to happen. They weren't taking any chances. Um, and, and, and again, I, I didn't mean to take all of the evening, but that's uh, that, that's a story that uh, most people don't know. No, I didn't know that. That was I didn't know that story. I mean, we all know the general story of the general mythology. But you're right; as powerful as Rupp was, you got to believe that. Probably before the ball hit the floor, we thought he was petitioning the committee to change the rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, boy, it's just just great stories, man. Uh, so this is Perry. Perry, thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much, man. I mean, this is this has been fascinating. Absolutely. You got to come. You, you have to come back on and 
we have to talk more because this is this is really great. But uh, thank you guys so much. Have happy holidays. Uh, thank you for all for the books. Thank you for the books and the stories. And mm-hmm. man, just thank you for hanging in there. I'm gonna tell Alex Bontemps we spoke. Well, you give him my best. I, I remember him fondly. We had a great little session. That's when we uh, Skip Gates was like this when when we were colored. Uh, <laughs> back at Harrow High School. Uh, I remember Arna and, uh, you know, it was just a great, a great time. Yeah. That's a whole story unto itself. Maybe we, we, maybe uh, we'll that, get that, a chance we, to do some riffs on that. Absolutely. I have to do that. I have to bring Alex on, man, because he loves this stuff. But, hey, thank, but thank you so thank much. You guys. No, thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.